everyone. I'm Kareem Ray, your host at the One Soccer Nation podcast. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Alexander Raz. Alexander is an attorney, sports lawyer, and civil litigation at 118 Law. Alexander, thank you so much for taking the time today. How's it going? Hey, Kareem. How are you? It's good to see you again. Thank you for uh, the uh, invitation. Very excited to be here with you. Absolutely. So you're actually going to be the first sports lawyer that I have on the podcast. So it's super cool. Awesome. We met first on, on Instagram. Um, and then after that was down last month in November at SoccerX in Miami, we got to connect in person. So I'm going to drop a little image here in the video. But yeah, it was, it was great to connect with you at SoccerX. Just want to ask you a quick question. What were your thoughts about the event? It was great. Uh, it's my either, I think it's my third time going to the event. Um, it, it was great. It was great. It's good to reconnect with uh, different, um, you know, industry leaders uh, in soccer and, and other lawyers, uh, other other people involved in the business. It's it's a really really good event. It was, of course, great to uh, finally connect with you in person, which is always different uh, and better uh, than than just online coming full circle. So uh, I thought it was a very good very good event. I'm looking forward to the next one actually. Yeah, me too. I'm glad we connected too and got to meet in person. You actually went to another one too. I think it's called Copa America, where you met Rondinho or. Yeah, I I was invited to the uh, draw for the uh, Cup America, which is going to take place in June of uh, 2024. So yeah, that was exciting. That was that was definitely a highlight, at least for me. Uh, uh, you know, growing up, I mean, I always watch this game. So being able to approach him and take a picture with him was, I, I could say, a dream come true. Uh, still not, you know, the picture with Messi, but it's it's pretty high up there. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, he did play with Messi, um, so that that was super cool to see. Are there any upcoming events that you're excited to go to as well, or are you just uh, taking a break from uh, attending to events? No, actually, in the next two months, in the beginning of February, uh, I have an invitation from FIFA for their um, football law annual review, which is basically where they get together uh, mostly attorneys and they go over the law. Uh, football law and any new trends and new cases and new developments and everything that's going to be happening at FIFA for the upcoming year. Uh, and it's going to take place in Tokyo, which I'm very excited that I've been there. Uh, so it's definitely going to be a, a very, very good opportunity to to um, visit a different you know continent and, and be able to you know, share more with other lawyers, other uh, football lawyers as well. And, and actually, you know, it's my first event um, where I'm being invited, you know, um, from FIFA. So I'm, I'm very excited um, to um, to attend. It's, it's going to be great. Nice. Yeah. FIFA is just one of those big names that, you know, a lot of people care about, but don't know too much about it. And to hear that you're getting invited, uh, invited to that event, that's amazing. And I'm, I'll be looking forward to seeing those pictures and uh, hearing more about Tokyo and FIFA. Um, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask is if you could just take us back in time and just share how you got involved in the beautiful game, like your first memory, and then like how, like just a little bit of a story of how you got to where you are today as a sports lawyer. Yeah, um, I mean, I've always soccer, soccer, or football. It's always been part of my life. I, I I was born and raised in Peru, so obviously it's it's a national sport, um, just as any other country where you know football is is a primary sport. So I grew up playing it uh, just across the street, on, on the parks, on the road. Uh, I play, you know, high school soccer. I played uh, some club soccer. Uh, didn't get to any, uh, you know, professional or, or 
any other team like that, but I was always involved in soccer and it was, it was a very big part of my life. Um, and so from them, from there, I always wanted to be an attorney. I knew I wanted to be an attorney. Um, initially, what most people don't know is I was involved in the music business. Uh, I was actually a recording engineer in New York uh, and in Peru. And so I did um, a lot of that. I was always involved in the on the business side. And that was kind of my goal, get involved in the business side. Uh, entertainment and sports was really what drew me, you know, towards towards uh, that industry uh, as far as the law is concerned. And and from then once I from there once I graduated from from law school, um, I went into criminal defense for about three years, uh, and so that helped me in developing uh, litigation skills and and how to be a lawyer in the courtroom. Uh, it was an amazing amazing experience. And then I moved on into the civil world. Um, and the civil litigation, um, and it was then when I started getting uh, connected with representing players, um, networking. Uh, in the beginning, it wasn't strictly related to football. It was more related to any legal matters that they needed help with. Uh, but that developed into, hey, I have this situation at the club where I have this contract. Uh, what do I do? Can you help me? And that's basically how I started getting uh, more into it. Uh, little by little, and then you know the, the doors kept opening up, and and just making the business grow that way, and making more connections. And this industry is very small. Uh, it it's all really about connections and networking. That's that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, hundred percent. Who you know? Um, in regards to you know being a sports lawyer, do you specifically focus only on the soccer industry in the U.S.? I focus uh, as far as the sports law area of the practice. So we have two areas of practice, one civil litigation and the other one sports law. Uh, in the sports law, I mean, I really should name it football law, but, but I don't. But uh, strictly all the cases that I deal with on the sports law side are football related, soccer related. Uh, and it's not just in the U.S. It could be anywhere in the world, really. Um, it's it's. There are two different areas where you can approach this. There's transactional um, matters and there's litigation matters. And so the transactional matters are more a um, dealing with contracts, dealing with negotiations, dealing with uh, sponsorships, uh, image rights, anything related to contracts, uh, let's say, and anything related to negotiations. And then on the litigation side is more on the um, arbitration side. Uh, everything that happens in sports is really uh, based on arbitration. Uh, so, for example, if a, if a, if a player or a coach, they um, get any disciplinary hearing um, or, you know, a club is not paying a player, um, then everything gets resolved through arbitration. Um, and again, I usually have, you know, different cases, not just in the U.S. Obviously, I live in the U.S., and that's my primary area uh, where I practice, but I also have um, done in cases, you know, outside of the U.S. And I still have cases outside of the U.S. Um, I'm trying to get more into the European market, which is, you know, really the bread and butter of, of uh, sports law, specifically with uh, football, soccer. So how, how do you find it to break into Europe um, and what enables you to work internationally um, in regards to, you know, how, how is that possible? 
what what happens is in in football law and soccer it, it's very specific it's different than any other sports as you know fifa has its own statutes policies and regulations so basically anytime there is an international um transaction where you know you have a player from country a going into country b then you know that FIFA statutes and regulations and policies are going to apply. And so because of that, it allows the player or coach or club or any any entity, any of those entities, they're allowed to have representation. It doesn't matter uh, where they're from because it's an international forum. So FIFA, Court of Arbitration for Sports, is not a uh, specific jurisdiction. You can be from the U.S. and having a case against the club in Brazil, and you know you go, you both are going to go into international waters, basically. So um, you sort of need to have some understanding of international law, um, and, and that allows you to basically, as far as you're being a lawyer, allows you to practice um, or represent your client in front of different um, arbitration panels and arbitration courts that are not necessarily located just in the U.S. If that makes any sense. Understood. Um, when following uh, FIFA's rules, laws, and regulations, um, would that be the only uh, governing body that you would have to follow in regards to international uh, international uh, transfers uh, between uh, country A to country B? Or do you also have, let's say you're getting a player from Spain to the U.S., would you also have to follow U.S. Uh, rules, laws, and regulations as well? Yeah, national national law is always going to come into place. Uh, okay. You always have to that. So if it's vice versa, for example, um, and it's a player from the U.S. going to a different country, you would always want to consult with an attorney that is licensed in that country because you want to be aware of different laws uh, at the national level and not only different laws, but, you know, taxation issues, which are extremely, extremely important, especially for any professional player going abroad and wanting to know what is their tax liability, how is that going to look like when they're abroad? Um, and what is their liability not only in the U.S., but since they're moving to a different country. So, yeah, it's it's very important to have some knowledge. Obviously, if you're not well-versed, you're going to have to consult and, and, you know, partner up with an attorney that it's more experienced and, and actually uh, more experienced in the sense that they know that specific market. Understood. Um, if you would like to share, um, you don't you don't have to. But uh, in regards to going into the European market, that's where, you know, the real funds are, the real, the real money. Um, what is your plan to, to get into Europe? If you would like to share, if not, I can move on to the, the next question. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, it, it, again, like I said, it's about networking. Um, a few years ago, I did a master's in international sports law at a school called ISDE, which is located in Spain, in Madrid. So that basically allowed me to expand my network into Europe. Um, there were a ton of different lawyers from um, different countries. And so I've been able to expand my network that way. Um, and, and in reality, the way it would work is what I would like to see um, and how to make it grow is basically uh, make those connections stronger so that if they have a matter here in the U.S., I'm able to assist, and then vice versa. So basically, sort of a collaboration and a partnership with different lawyers, and that has allowed me uh, to make more connections. Um, currently, in at the end of April, I also have an invitation for um, Barcelona 
at a uh, event called IFAM, which is an arbitration moot for football soccer, uh, where students from uh, law students from all over the world basically compete in an arbitration case, uh, similar to if as if they were in front of the court of arbitration for sports. So I'm going to be acting as an arbitrator. Uh, they have to submit written briefs, and it's going to be oral um, arguments. So it's going to be a, a, a very nice event. Uh, so that also allows me uh, to put my name out there and, and establish those connections that are going to allow me to continue growing the practice here and abroad. Amazing. Can you share some highlights from your experience at the Miami-Dade Public Defender's Office and how it shaped your skills as a litigator? Yeah, um, I think it was a humbling experience because uh, it allowed me to represent different people. Um, there were people who were charged with, you know, uh, from misdemeanors to uh, felonies punishable by life. So it was definitely an eye opener as far as being able to uh, proudly represent those people uh, who a lot of times don't have the resources to hire an attorney. Um, and they're not perhaps given the same treatment that they deserve. So that basically allowed me to um, be a better lawyer uh, in a sense that I was able to be more compassionate towards people. Uh, you don't have to like all the clients, but you do have to treat them with respect and you have to treat them um, the way they deserved, you know, to be treated uh, under the circumstances. So um, that was, that was really, um, like I said, a humbling experience. And as far as how did that help me in, in the courtroom, uh, from day one, you're basically thrown in the courtroom. And you're in the courtroom day in and day out. Uh, you may not have a lot of experience in the courtroom. Unfortunately, law school doesn't really teach you a lot of uh, courtroom skills. There are classes that you can take. You can participate in mock trial teams, uh, moot court teams, which is like appellate court. Uh, but it's not enough uh, to show you how to act in the courtroom. So it really helped you to act on your feet and, and how to um, think on your feet, how to uh, conduct yourself in the courtroom, how to try a case, how to speak to juries, how to speak to opposing counsel, how to speak to the judges, um, how to handle procedures, and how to handle pressure, really, because it's it's a lot of pressure. It's it's a diff different stakes. You're, we're talking about someone's life and liberty. So it's completely different than, you know, handling a contract and, and, and a transaction or, or an arbitration for, for, um, for a clause or, or a club that is not getting paid. It, it's a completely night and day, but I think they have helped me to shape my skills, um, not only for arbitration proceedings, but in negotiations and being able to interact with different people. I think it was it was a really good experience. What do you enjoy more, the, the battle in the court or, or you know, being, you know, on, at the desk working on contracts? Uh, I think I like a combination of both. There's a time where you definitely have to fight for your client and, you know, the courtroom is, is a place to do it. And there's other times where that downtime of being on the desk and, and going through a contract uh, and, and preparing the best um, deal for your client also is important. So I, I think it's a combination of both in, 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 in my experience, at least. Got it. As a valedictorian in your class at... Uh, Institute, I'm going to try my best to pronounce this. You're going to have to come in and say this. Institutio Superior di Derecho y Economia, so ISDE. 
E, yeah. I-S-D-E, in Madrid, Spain. Can you tell us about the key takeaways from your master's in international sports law that have been instrumental in your sports law career? Yeah, uh, that was also a very, very uh, important, I think, stage in my life. Um, really great experience. I was able to um, meet different attorneys from, like I said, different countries. Uh, it was able to, uh, I was able to experience what it's like to be a lawyer in different countries and, and being able to compare um, what it's like to be a lawyer in, in I don't know, Portugal versus the U.S., for example, um, or in Africa versus in the U.S. So it's an eye-opening as to how similar, but at the same time, how different um, being a lawyer in different countries is. Uh, but the main uh, the main takeaway that I had from that experience is it, it taught me um, what being a sports lawyer is like, um, and and what's important uh, from being a sports lawyer, and the impact that you can have on your client. It's a player coach or a club um it's it's really a it's it's an experience that enriched me um it's a funny story also because i was not expecting uh, that award uh we had actually uh, i went with my family for the graduation and i had just landed from the airport so we were jet lagged i was kind of falling asleep at the time that they mentioned my name uh, for the award. So I kind of hurt my name and somebody had to elbow me to tell me, hey, you just won, uh, you know, top of the class. So I couldn't believe it <laughs> at the time. And it was a really funny story. I was walking up, you know, the, the stage kind of half asleep and trying to understand what was going on. Nobody thought <laughs> that I was going to win that award. Uh, so it was, it was really, it was really neat. I mean, I, I put a lot of time into it. Uh, you basically had to um, do the classes online, but you also had to go three times in person. Um, and it was two days of classes basically all day long with different professors from um, FIFA, from the Court of Arbitration for Sports, uh, from different law firms from all over the world. So that also um, brought in my network of, of different colleagues and different attorneys and, and, and different doors that opened for me. So it was a really, really good experience. Congratulations to you for all the success that you've had uh, this far. What has been Excellent. your favorite country to be a lawyer in? Hmm. Or a, at least experience-wise in, in the courts and so on and so forth. Well, honestly, now with uh, Zoom, you can be anywhere. So um, I, I still think the U.S. is is one of the greatest, you know, um, court systems in the world. You know. Um, I'm going to stick with the U.S. on this one um, only because I, I, I can't appear really in, in regular courts. You know, like I said, arbitration is more of an international waters, so it's really not a courtroom. Um, it just allows you to handle the cases on international waters, if that makes any sense. But as far as a courtroom, I, I mean, I'm licensed only in the U.S. and Florida and Texas, so I can only appear um, in either one of those jurisdictions. Um, so I'm gonna stick with the U.S. for now. I, mean, I would I would love to actually even witness what it's like to handle a case in England, uh, London, in the U.K. So uh, hopefully one day I get to witness that. Soon, soon. Given your specialization in legal and transactional matters in football or soccer, 
What inspired you to pursue this niche within sports law and how do you see the landscape evolving in the coming years? Man, like I said, football and soccer have always been part of part of my life. I mean, I, I, I don't know any other sport that I feel more passionate about. Uh, that's that's really my sport. Um, so that's that's really where it comes from. Um, uh, as far as how I see um, this area growing, um, I think we have so many events coming up right now uh, in the U.S. And I think it's going to explode here in the U.S. Uh, we have uh, the Gold Cup, actually. Uh, I think it's in March, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there. Don't quote me. But I think we have uh, the Gold Cup coming up. Then you have Copa America in the summer. Uh, then you have the FIFA World Club Cup. 2025 then we have the world cup in 2026 uh i think we have the women's world cup in 2027 hopefully they give it to the u.s i think it's u.s and mexico that uh are bidding on it and then i think the olympics in 2028 so i think for the next five years uh football and soccer are gonna grow tremendously in the u.s uh, hopefully it becomes the number one sport and that's that's really what i hope so um but you know we still have to compete against you know the monsters of nfl mlb and nba uh, and hockey of course uh, but i'm hoping that it grows uh, in the next five years uh, tremendously yeah i think i think there's a lot of push happening right now in the u.s for for soccer to, to move up the rankings um all the events that you that you mentioned these are big waves to catch and everyone's trying to set up shop in regards to people that are not in yet for uh, professional club owners so yeah, just a super exciting time. I was just saying the other day on a call, I was just like, um, you know, I can't believe I'm I'm alive for, to 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 see a World Cup being hosted. You know, in Canada, U.S. and Mexico. These are, you know, I'm I'm I go back and forth between Canada and the U.S. a lot. So it's it's so exciting, um, and I hope to attend and not only attend but be a part of this, a part of these events and catch this big wave in a in a in an impactful way. So super excited. Yeah, One, I don't. I don't know if we talked about this uh, at Soccer X, but about the USL um, Super League, the Women's League. I don't know if you saw that today. They they announced a new team here in uh, West Palm Beach as well. So we have West Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, and Jacksonville in Florida. That's that's amazing. It's four professional teams on the women's side. So that's going to explode as well. That's I'm very excited about that as well. Yeah, I, I've heard talks in regards to you know the women's being a, a one billion dollar industry. Um, that was actually with a conversation with Richard Albert. He's from U. Uh, he works with the UK government. Um, he's head of ca uh, um, head of capital. I forgot the exact title, but he basically helps facilitate capital from North America down to the UK. So he was saying it's a billion dollar industry, and I've heard a few more people say that it's it's going to boom. So especially in the US too. So I think. What are your thoughts? Do you think you know people getting in now are getting at the ground floor for for women's investments within soccer? Uh, women's soccer ownership yeah i think so i mean i think that's that's what it looks like where it's going uh, I, I don't know what expansion plans nwsl has in, in in florida specifically we know that inter miami was hinted at one point uh which i think will be a, a great market for them um and then you also have the kind of you know head-to-head -head competition right now between USL and NWSL, um, USL Super League, that is. Um, which one, are they going to be the same uh, first division or the one that's going to be first division and the other one's going to be second division, which 
I don't know how that's going to play out, but for sure the, the market is opening, uh, which is good. I mean, it's, it seems to me like the fact that they're adding so many teams in, in one region, they're trying to capitalize on small markets at a time so that they can make it grow that way. Um, definitely exciting times. Uh, I think women's soccer uh, needs to grow. It doesn't have the same opportunities uh, as a men's soccer. Um, it does have a lot to show as well, and I think it's going to help uh, growing the business also for the younger um, generation, uh, which they're going to have more opportunities, which, you know, I think at, at this time you only have club so soccer and then um, the lucky ones get to play in college, but uh, you don't hear you don't hear about, you know, professional clubs uh, on the women's side that, you know, uh, are just ready to you know, get these players on, on board or develop them uh, like they do on the men's side. So it's definitely exciting times. Yeah, so much growth opportunity on, on both men's and women's. So super exciting. I was just listening to a podcast of uh, Justin Pabodowski from USL. Um, they're in conversations for 50 expansions. And as you mentioned, uh, West Palm being a new expansion that just popped up. I got to read up on it. Um, USL is moving pretty fast with their expansion. Really fast. It is. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, and going back to um, 118 Law, is described as an offensive line and seeking equitable justice. How do you incorporate this philosophy into your legal practice, particularly in the fields of sports law and civil litigation? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's... there's Different different matters are at stake, right? And civil litigation is mostly about the money. Um, so you want to make sure that your client gets uh, a fair end of the deal um, in whatever area it is. Uh, usually on the civil litigation, we have um, matters involving insurance disputes, uh, personal injury matters. Uh, we also have um, trademarks um, that we deal with. And then on the uh, football side, uh, it depends on what it is. There's, there's so many different things going on. It could be a player signing its first professional contract, a uh, player renewing their contract, a uh, player moving into a different club and a transfer agreement, um, a player looking for a sponsor, a player uh, having to deal with their image rights. Um, so the, the bottom line for me is making sure that there's a balance where my client is, one, being heard, uh, and, and what they want to accomplish in, in whatever matter it is, it, it actually result, results in a, in a successful transaction for them uh, where they're not only uh, satisfied with what I've done for them, but they feel uh, that what they wanted to accomplish has actually taken place. Absolutely. 118 Law Vision is to set a new standard and seek equitable justice. Can you elaborate on specific initiatives or strategies your firm employs to achieve this vision within the realms of sports law and civil litigation? Yeah, I think um, communication. Um, you, you often hear a lot about attorneys not being accessible or not being, um, uh, not having direct communication with their clients. I make sure that all my clients have my cell phone. Um, they can text me and call me at any time. Um, 
day, night, uh, weekends, holidays. Uh, I always try to make myself accessible to them because they, they are using my services. So I want to make sure they understand that I'm on their corner. Uh, they can count on me at any time that, you know, they need me. Uh, so I'm always available for my clients. I think that's my number one uh, priority to make sure that I can accomplish uh, my vision in, in the company, really. Got it. Yeah, that's that's really good to to be able to have access to you whenever they need it. That's so important. In the involving landscape of media rights and intellectual property and in sports, what are some key legal considerations that athletes and clubs should be aware of? And how do you guide your clients through the, through these issues? Yeah, it's very important, um, especially on players. I have a lot of um, that have developed their brand. Uh, it's it's your asset, basically. Uh, your brand is an asset. Uh, it, it's important that you're protected and you understand what that means. What it means that your image is an asset that is a brand that you have to develop it, that you have to work it, that you basically have to put your name out there. Um, a lot of players, I feel like they don't really understand the value of of their image. Um, and I think clubs do understand that um, there's a lot of different contracts uh, where you're basically, the players are asked to give away their image rights to the club. And so that the club can basically use that image to their advantage. And so uh, I think a, a good understanding of why your image is important, um, it's absolutely necessary. You don't want to give up those rights. You want to make sure that you have some control over them because, like I said, it's an asset. It's no different than an artist uh, writing a song and then being able to control what happens to that song in the future, right? Owning the rights of that song. It's, it's basically the same. It's your image is who you are. It's your name. It's your image. It's your likeness. It should belong only to you. You shouldn't be giving it away. Um, or, you know, there's different ways of, of entering into partnerships where you're given a license, uh, so that way you're still retaining your rights, um, but not giving them away completely where you don't have any more control of that. Um, and unfortunately, it, in this business, it, it does happen. So, yeah, it, it, it's important to always have good advice, good legal advice, a good team uh, that are going to be able to fight for you and negotiate the best deal for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is important. And- and um, do you, yeah, that, that that's a great, that is great information right there in regards for a player aspect. I think more players need to be aware of that. Um, and, you know, I want to kind of share something with you a little bit quickly here. You know, when I started doing podcasting, I didn't even know, um, like, we're using image and likeness. And then further along the journey, I was like, wow, you know, we are using other people's images and name, uh, name, and, uh, name and likeness, their names, their, their image stuff like this. And I was like, okay, I got to be more um, intentional and more, um, you know, better communication in regards to, uh, you know, what is this transaction that we're having here? What are the expectations and how, how are they being used? And uh, it's been such an amazing experience. We're not a club yet, but, you know, doing media, you know, uh, this is something that I've experienced and it's a, it's a, it's a huge, it's a responsibility for sure. And uh, no, that's, that's really cool to hear. Um, yeah, and, and also, I mean, now we have social media. You have so many social media platforms that uh, I think every player, I mean, we're talking about soccer, but, you know, and it, it, it applies to any other industry. But since we're talking about soccer, I think all, all players should, you know, trademark their brand and, and exploit their brand in social media. There's more to being a, a soccer player than just kicking the ball. 
uh, you're more than just a soccer player. So you need to showcase that and, and you know, put more emphasis on, on work on that. This is a short career. It's I think on average is is about eight years long. It's not a lot. <laughs> it's not a long career. So you, you need to be thinking about other ways of monetizing uh, your brand and what you stand for, you know? Yeah, we got to talk about some stuff offline uh, for on Soccer Nation, trademarks and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I feel like, you know, because I was a player myself from grassroots to semi-pro levels, that as a player, I, I feel like a lot of these, their uh, priority is just playing and being the best player they could be. Everything off the field sometimes for these guys, yeah. it doesn't exist. But yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Beyond your legal career, you mentioned your love for attending sports events. How do you, how, how do you personally... How does your personal interest and experiences outside of the legal realm influence your approach to representing clients in the sporting industry? Well, specifically soccer. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as sports law, football law, everything I do revolves around soccer. I mean, that's that's really my bread and butter um, on the sports law side. I, mean, I, I love going to games. Um, uh, it's been such an incredible experience to witness different games in different countries. Um, by far, one of my best experiences has been attending a, a Premier League game uh, for the first time, which was uh, maybe a couple of years ago. I was able to uh, attend Fulham against Man U. Um, never going to forget that experience. It's completely different than than the U.S. And, and I've attended games also, Bayern Munich, uh, Real Madrid, and not even those compared to the Premier League game. It's, it's wow. just amazing. The, the vibe, the environment, the, the energy that you feel um, in, in the game is completely different than, than you know, the uh, what happens here in the U.S. Uh, it, it's it's hard to describe. I, I think it's better if, you know, if you're able to, you got to experience it. And this and this happened even in a Fulham stadium, which, you know, it's not a big stadium. So I can only imagine, you know, going to like uh, Old Trafford or, or a Liverpool Stadium or Man City or Chelsea or where we have, you know, hardcore supporters. It, it has to be even better than than what I experienced. Uh, yeah. But... yeah, no, I, I totally I've, I felt that feeling, too. I've been to an Everton and Arsenal game. That was, oh, but yeah, we got to go to a game, man. One one day, Liverpool or something. We got we got to oh. go to the game. <laughs> um, we're seeing the Messi effect happen uh, down in Florida. How, like, what are your thoughts on Messi being in in the U.S. and how do you feel about it? It's amazing. Uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I mean, for me at least, um, is one of the best players in the world. Um, so being able to have him here in our backyard, it, it's it's been incredible. I've been able to see how people have gotten excited over the sport uh, from one day to another. Uh, and you can hear people talking, you know, I saw Messi on the weekend here. I saw him over there and all the commotion and the splash that he's getting. Um, I'm hoping that he can actually make some change into the way the U.S approaches soccer uh, in the sense that he can instill that passion for the sport um, and and kind of separate the sport from the entertainment side. I mean, uh, most of the sport in the U.S. is sport and entertainment and mostly sportainment, right? Uh, but if you go to a different country, it's more about the sport and the entertainment comes secondary. I think, obviously, 
the game is going to be entertainment, but the main focus is the sport. The entertainment just comes with it, but it's not really exploited to a way that, you know, it happens here in the U.S. in MLS. So, man, it's it's really it's really grown so much. It, it's it's amazing. I, I, I think um, it started when Beckham came, right? And then it kind of grew MLS, and now who knows what Messi what the messy effect is going to be in the U.S. I mean, we can only wait, um, you know, for the next couple of years and see what kind of changes he's going to have in, in, in MLS and in the U.S. But as far as Miami, I mean, people are going crazy over him. I mean, yeah, I'm even bringing him up in, in every podcast towards the end. Two things I always end off with. Messi, what are your thoughts on Messi? And what do you, what do you think about 2026 World Cup? Those are the two things. So super cool. Yeah, hopefully he makes it. Hopefully he, he gets to play the World Cup. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't retire uh, before that. You know? yeah. But I, I think that he's got probably a, a little bit more gas in the tank for that. You know, one last run. Yeah. I, um, I'm i not too sure if you've seen, but he was actually watching a UPSL game. I've seen it on social media, so I don't know if it's true. But going out to a, UP, a UPSL game, uh, talking to some of the coaches. I, I'm not too sure if you've seen that down in uh, – No, I haven't seen it. Oh, probably, I mean. No, I know his son plays. Um, his son is a plays in the U twelve team. Okay, okay. So he's very he actually goes to the games. I actually think they have a tournament today at Inter Miami um, facilities, like a youth uh, tournament. Yeah. So I think for sure he's going to be there. You know, it's his son playing, so uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's going to make a very tournament, and he's going to make a, a bunch of kids very excited to to see him there live. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, this was this was awesome. Was there anything that I missed that you wanted to add in, or no? I mean, I think we've covered we've covered a lot. Um, it's been fun. Um, hopefully, we get to talk more in the future about more things, you know, related to a sport. I know you have some projects going on too, so definitely would like to to know more about that and and see how we can collaborate and and make this work. Absolutely. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for taking the time for joining us on the One Soccer Nation podcast today. Hi, Kareem. Great seeing you, man.